Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Wow. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being test dummies. I'm joking. <laughs> Hopefully you were blessed and strengthened and encouraged. And thank you for blessing our team. Um, they are on an incredible faith journey. The mission trip starts from the moment you say yes to going. Because most people say yes with none of the finances to go. Uh, and then literally it's like, okay, it's time to book the plane tickets. And then we just contend that we trust the Lord. And then the money comes, we book the plane tickets. And then it's the visas, like Damien was saying, all these things. And so I'm really proud of them for just stepping out. And I also just want to say thank you to uh, the church, just those of you who have sown into this trip. It, it would not be possible without family. And the beautiful thing about family and community. Cool, everyone looking at me? Everyone's awake? Awesome. Okay. Uh, there we go. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm not interested in talking for the sake of talking. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really encouraged because as a community, uh, if we're going to do this in our city, in our nation, and into the nations of the earth with longevity, we need each other. Um, and so it's amazing how you can have an assignment from the Lord, but if you don't have community, uh, it's a pretty short assignment. But when you have people together who can... Uh, support one another, who can sharpen each other, who can encourage each other, strengthen each other, speak courage into each other's hearts, you know, put your hands, keep your hands up when you're feeling weary. That's how we do things with longevity. So I want to say thank you. You guys are awesome. And we have a really generous church. Um, you know, it, if you think about it, uh, to send teams into four nations uh, at the same time requires quite a lot of finances, if you think about it. And uh, a, a beautiful community of 80 to 100 people are sending teams into that region. Um, I, I don't want that to become light, because it's not. It's incredible. Um, and at the same time, that group of 80 to 100 people are coming into alignment with the heart of the Father for this house, for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your business, for your children, for your university, for your school, whatever it is that you're doing. We're coming into alignment with that. We're going to begin to see the kingdom of heaven manifest in a way like we've never known before. Is that okay? Awesome. So here's, here's my request. I, I love you to bits. I'm going to need you to lean in with me. Otherwise, it just pulls out more. So uh, I, I want, if you don't, I'm just going to, I'm just going to dive into your faces. Okay. Um, but get hungry with me because I do feel like there's a shift in the room uh, that's going to happen probably in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, and we'll just go after that, and that's okay. I want to, I want to encourage you. Um, sometimes we need a shift. Mike Bickle says it like this. Shock me now, Lord, don't shock me then. What does he mean? I don't want to be shocked on the day that Jesus returns, and suddenly I realize, oh, oh, it was actually real. Oh, it was, it was legit. Oh, actually what we spoke about, it wasn't just a sermon. Shock me now. That's my prayer. I'm Lord. You got to do what you need to do in my heart. Shock me. Shake me out of mediocrity. Shake me out of passivity. Shake me out of uh, the mediocre. Shake me. See, the cry of revival is really just Lord, shake me, shock me, rock me, break me, mold me, shape me, start in my heart, bend me. The Welsh revival, six, six young adults get together and they pray this prayer bend me. Bend me, God. <laughs> So we should do that. Okay. 
Awesome. Man, we have just come off of an awesome, uh, on the back of an awesome weekend. Uh, it was a privilege to have Gabriel and Michelle Stratum from Fire and Fragrance with us last weekend. Uh, he is actually in Mexico now, um, just crazy all over the place. Um, we were with him on Thursday night in Potchefstroom. 700 students showed up, and we worshiped Jesus till about quarter to 12 at night. And, uh, and 700 students were literally hungry and commissioned to reach Potchefstroom. Uh, these are, these are the, a whole diverse group of people. These are not 700. Yeah, that's awesome. You're allowed to clap. Um, these are not 700 people who are all called to be missionaries. In fact, probably about 650 out of the 700 uh, are studying and are going to actually infiltrate the marketplace, but have caught the heart of God for what His dream is and are saying yes to Him. And so we had a powerful weekend. Um, how many of you were blessed and just strengthened and equipped by what Gabriel Michelle brought? Um, I thought what, what I, I was really expecting, and it was way more than I thought, uh, was just how I feel like the Lord really validated what, what has been happening in this house over the last couple of weeks, where He just stamped His approval and just said, I'm doing this work. And, and I feel like He brought everyone in, and He sealed things on people's hearts. I know like I know that many of you were challenged, and, uh, and there was some serious conviction because I was. I've, this whole week, I've just been absorbing, going like, oh, my goodness. Uh, it'll probably take us about seven years to unpack everything that was released here last week. How many of you were here Sunday night? Sunday night? I don't even know what to do with that. Um, we'll, just, we'll just trust Jesus, and we'll unpack it little bit by little bit and just uh, allow the, the Lord to lead us. But um, how many of you were encouraged by Michelle's testimony? Michelle was sharing about how she's called to the marketplace, but she's burning for Jesus, and it's holy. And uh, I, I thought that was really good. I, I felt in the spirit like people were being unlocked from, from lies uh, that they've believed, and uh, that God was putting fire in our hearts to run with what He's called us to. So that was really special. One of the things I want to start with um, today, and we'll just follow the Holy Spirit. I have a message in my heart, but it seems to be changing with the services. He spoke about what it means to be radical and obedient, and how radical actually means to be rooted. I don't know if you knew that. It means to be rooted. And so often what we do in the church, and I'm just going to kind of quote Gabriel, and then we'll, we'll use this as the platform, and we'll build from there. Often what we do in the church is we look for someone in the room that we have decided is the most radical, and then we set that as the benchmark for our lives, and we go like, if I'm not doing that, I'm not radical, I'm not burning for Jesus, Right? give you an example. Uh, I have been invited, I have an opportunity to hike, I mean, this is ridiculous, I still haven't got my head around this, to hike into the Himalayan mountains, the Tibetan plateau, and preach the gospel to unreached villages, right? That's wild. But it's real dangerous if we as a church set that now as the, the marker or the benchmark for what radical is. Because at the moment that we do that, suddenly what you have to do tomorrow morning when you work uh, when you walk into your work environment, suddenly that becomes less holy than, than that. Not because God has any difference of opinion or, or, or perspective on it, but because we've changed ours. And so I want to encourage you and just say we're not called to decide what's radical based on what we think in the room or that person or whatever it is that we've elevated. Don't elevate anything or anyone above the presence of the Lord. But what we do need to be is truly rooted in the Lord and to be obedient and so I want to start off and say this. I've realized more and more that 
And we've been saying this all year as an eldership, but I want to say it again, and I want, to, I want to commit this to you and say, as an eldership, there's only one thing that we can truly promise, and that's this. All we really know to do is seek the Lord, listen to His voice, and commit our lives to be the first followers. Anything else that we try to do in and of our own strength provides the opportunity for people to get hurt, offended, and the reality is that's going to happen. It happens in family. 90% of this room has been offended by me. I know because I've had to answer your emails and WhatsApps. Um, (laughs) But I'm joking, by the way. But the reality is that's part of family. Family is beautiful and raw and messy, and we challenge each other, and and sometimes we're learning, and we're being uh, shaped in the presence of the Lord, and we're growing into what He's called us to do. But one thing that we need to be centered on as a family is the voice of the Lord. We need to learn to live in His voice. The reality is obedience is actually the only uh, expectation or requirement from the Lord for you to walk in your assignment and see everything fulfilled that He put inside of your heart. Obedience, that's it. What would it look like to live your life, and I want you to think about your life right now, What does it look like to live your life simply doing one thing, seek the Lord, listen, what are you saying, and obey? Take every area, your marriage, your business, your children, your family, whatever relationships, friendships, take every single area in your life and do one thing, seek Him. Let me make it more practical. If you are in the marketplace, in fact, I'll use an example because it's easier, if you have your own business or you run a business or you manage a business, have you asked the Lord what that business is for? Have you asked the Lord how much money you're supposed to make? Let me put it this way, how much money he wants you to make? Have you asked the Lord how many clients he wants you to have? Let me show you the difference. When we don't do that, often what we're doing is going after my own perspective and desire and hoping that God actually wants this too, talking like it, praying like it, driving, driving, driving until it becomes striving, striving, striving. And then we wonder why there's no grace and no release on that. See, because God releases grace over what He's given you and told you to do. So let's say you, you run a business and the Lord says, you ask the Lord, Father, how many clients do you want me to have? I want to be obedient. What do you, what, this is your business. What do you want? How many clients? And the Lord says, 40. Then the response is not, okay, where's the 40? The response is, you said, I have 40. What do I need to do to get the 40? Because you've given me grace for the 40. I'm going to be obedient. Show me the strategy. I'm seeking you for the details. I'm not going to operate out of presumption. I'm going to operate out of obedience. Are you with me? If you're a teacher, I said this in the the first service, we had some teachers. If you're a teacher, have you asked the Lord, Lord, which kids are are you asking me to pray for right now? Lord, which kids are you going to show me prophetically what's going on in their lives that I can contend for their salvation, that I can contend for their families, that I can actually take responsibility in the nation to disciple our future leaders, to disciple the future of a nation? In your universities, Lord, who on the campus are you leading me to go and encourage, to strengthen? Who should I go and preach the gospel to? Who should I go and love? Moms who are looking after your kids and, 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 and discipling your children, it's holy. If that's the assignment on your life right now, be obedient in what he's telling you to put into your children. And at the same time, ask the Lord, Lord, who can I go and buy groceries for? 
And that is as holy as the unreached village in the Tibetan mountains. Because as long as you're being obedient, you're walking in His will. Does this make sense? And I want to, I want to massage that in because, because here's the reality. How many of you have heard, if you haven't, go into the podcast, go back to the beginning of the year and listen. But how many in this room have heard me preach on Antioch, Acts 11, Acts 13? Most of us, hopefully. If not, go back and listen to it. Antioch is this community where if we don't have Antioch, we don't get the gospel. The Gentiles, the, the, the Gentile world, we don't, us, you and me, we don't get the gospel without Antioch. Paul doesn't actually end up uh, walking in his, the fulfillment of his ministry without Antioch. Okay? And so Antioch, we know, take responsibility to preach the gospel to a region where the gospel hasn't been preached before, and they send Paul and Barnabas. We've, we've, we've looked at this. But sometimes what we skip over too quickly is actually how this all started. Because the reality is, they were a community that didn't get together and decide to do that. They got together and they did one thing, priestly rhythm of life, presence of the Lord. They were worshiping, they were praying, they were fasting, and then the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me. So they were a community centered around His presence, right? You with me? But not only that, before anything else, before taking responsibility for anything else, something happened in the lifestyle of every individual and, and family and in the community that caused society around them to look at the manner in which they live and label them. And the label was what? Christian. And it's the first time that followers of Jesus are described as Christian. Why? Something about this community, something about their manner of life reminded people of that man they'd heard about from Jerusalem or was, who was ministering in that region, Christ. So what's the goal? What, what, are, we, what are we after as a church? Do we, are we going to take responsibility for the least and the unreached? Yes. And we will not apologize for it. But what we're after is to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus, to allow the gospel to transform our lives and to be Christians in every sphere of influence that the Lord places us. And we're, we're yielded and obedient to Him to follow Him no matter what because the assignments can change. Are you with me? And so I feel like a, a beautiful tool that was given to us uh, last weekend, or maybe not even a tool, a value that will mark us and propel us forward into what the Lord is doing in your own lives and in this house and in this church is obedience. You see, because you can't be obedient until you choose humility, and you can't be humble until you've received it from Him anyway. That was so profound last week where He said that. It's actually it's the, the nature of God. Cool. Do you want to turn to Romans chapter 12? I'm going to do my best to get to this. I struggled to get to it in the first service, but we, we're going to do our best here. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this room. And I just thank you that you are ministering to our hearts. And actually, Lord, there's going to be a divine exchange this morning in this room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We are expectant to, to just literally put our lives on the altar and let the fire of the Holy Spirit come upon us. Lord, we pray as we read the word together and as you minister to us, Lord, would you remove every hindrance to love, remove every lie, every form of deception, passivity, mediocrity. Now, in Jesus' name, and we just thank you, Lord, for the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come now, fill us. Make us everything you've designed and created us to be. We love you and we yield to you and we thank you for your word. 
transform us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Before we, we get to this, I'm going to just do a, a brief overview once again. We're just going to preach the gospel. Is that okay? Just preach the gospel because the reality is that's why we're alive. So it's so important for us to understand that um, if you are in a place right now where you have this dream and, uh, and you haven't quite seen the fulfillment of it, and maybe you know, you're kind of on the journey, but you're frustrated. You're frustrated, you're not seeing the fulfillment of that dream, and you're wondering, like, what? what's happening? Why, why is there this tension? I just want to encourage you. It's not because you're not frustrated because you haven't got there yet. You're frustrated because it's the wrong dream. You guys okay? You didn't want to write? Sheesh, I'm not trying to preach hard, but anyway. It's the wrong dream. I didn't say what you're doing is wrong, but it's the wrong dream. Why is it the wrong dream? What we need in our lives, and I promise you, if you catch this today, you'll be so free, so free. What we need in our lives is for our own dreams and expectations and goals and the things that we really expect and think or what we're going after in our lives, we need them to die. <laughs> and we need to let the dream of God come alive inside of us. Let me tell you why. Your dream is so tiny and puny and limiting. This isn't about, oh, well, you know, you just don't want me to have what, what's the desire of my heart, but God wants me to have the desire of my heart. I promise you, you start delighting yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart change. Because when you delight in Him, suddenly you begin to see what He loves. And because your delight is in Him, what He loves becomes what you love. And now it's just so not about your dream and your goals and your aspirations. Now it's like, Lord, my life must be a contribution to what you are doing because I love you. I, oh, see, here's the, here's the key. You guys are getting me fired up. Here's the thing about the gospel. In the garden, God creates man. Why does He create man? See, God has a dream. He, he wasn't bored and thought, what could I make? <laughs> Sometimes we look at, I look at myself in the mirror and I think maybe. <laughs> but he wasn't bored. He was actually, he was so intentional with every single thing that he did. And so he creates this garden and he creates mankind and he has a dream. And he puts this dream in, he wraps this dream in flesh. And the dream of God, he introduces it with a simple concept. He creates man to rule and reign in a garden, and what that means is to live under his lordship. He creates man to rule and reign, and what that means is to live completely and utterly dependent on him, and he calls that ruling. Are you with me? And then he says, walk with me. And they walk with each other in the cool of the garden. And God has to, because of his dream, so stay with me, he has to give man an opportunity to choose. Because if we can't choose, we can't know love. And it takes two to make love known. And so he gives man an opportunity and he says, I'm actually going to design you in a way in which you can choose me or you can reject me. Because if you can't choose me, you'll never know what love is between us. In other words, you weren't created to be a Jesus robot. And we all do the same thing. No, you were created with the opportunity to choose. Why? Because he has a master plan that he's coming back for a bride that will rule and reign with him for all of eternity. So in the garden, we see this. And because God knew, he understood, he wasn't shocked when we chose ourselves, but he put these two trees in the garden. He said, the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they represent? Simply put, the tree of life, 
dependency on the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And as long as we live in that place, we rule and reign. The other one is an attempt. This is how, how low it is. It's an attempt at self-sufficiency. What does that mean? God says he creates us in his image. Created us in his image. Everyone agree? Then the devil tempts them and says, hey, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. Hold on a second. But you were already in his image. You were already like him. You were one with him. And the temptation was, if you eat this, you'll be like him. So what, what really was, was the lie that they believed in their heart? That I can be like him apart from him. Are you with me? Do you see, this is the, the root of sin. The root of sin is self-sufficiency, an attempt at self-sufficiency. Every expression of sin that flows in our lives comes from this one simple thing. We think we can do it apart from Him. And the moment that you do that, you try harder and harder and harder, and the harder you try, the more you fail. Because the reality is you weren't created to try, you were created to receive. So God introduces His dream, and He takes man on a journey. And we see it. There's so many... Uh, uh, examples of this, but one of the good ones is the Israelites and Moses, and they're going, hey, you ask the Lord, basically, I'm paraphrasing, ask the Lord, what does he want from us? What's his standard? We'll meet it. And you, I mean, when you, when you really study this, you can see Moses is like, oh no. And so what happens is 10 commandments, 613 laws. You miss one, you miss all of them. And suddenly there's this quick, rude awakening for mankind, like, oh, hold on a second, we're reminded once again it doesn't seem to work when we try to do this ourselves. Are you with me? So God's heart wasn't to put 10 commandments and 613 laws on your life to get you to be something. God's heart was for you to be what he created you to be. And the, the intention of the Father from the beginning of time was to put himself in you. And so the law came to reveal our need for him. Why? why? Why is our need for Him important? Why is it important that when you get saved, you don't just come in and think, well, it's just a nice thing to add to my life. You need to be broken and finished and emptied out of everything, knowing that if I don't have Him, I'm doomed. That's, the, that's where salvation happens. And then we come into grace, and it's like, oh, Lord, sorry. Lord, you are just incredible, and your grace is sufficient. But it starts with actually absolute terror. <laughs> Amen? Why is it important that we needed to know that we need Him? Because you were created for the purpose of desire. Last night I'm praying, and I'll share a bit about this just now, but I'm praying, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord just for today and what He wants to do. And I said, Lord, actually, what matters to you? Because we're going to get together and we're going to do some things like we do. But what matters to you? And I just felt Him whispering to my spirit. He just said, desire. And I said, okay, you know, okay, Lord, that's, that's great. But I'm, I'm really asking because do you want us to change something? Or, you know, that's how I think sometimes. I'm like, what do you want it to look like? And he said, I don't care. He said, it can look like anything. What I want is desire, motive. Why? Methods can change. We've seen that in the last two years. Things can change. We do things differently. But desire, that's what he's after. Why? Because you were created to long for him, to desire him. Why? Because for all of eternity, we will be in the most intimate romance with him. See, we're, we're functioning as a body right now. We're being built together, living stones as a house, a dwelling place for the Lord. But what he's coming back for is not uh, stones or, or a body. He's actually coming back for a bride. Are you with me? And so 
the law comes and reveals our need for him and begins to put a, a longing and an ache inside of the people of God. We need the Messiah. And then he comes. And this is why we preach the cross and why we preach the gospel and nothing else. Because what he did when he came, let me just remind you a little bit about the gospel. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. All of existence is held together by his name. He has all authority on, in heaven and on earth. He was there at the beginning. He was the light that the Father spoke into a, 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 a formless earth that brought order and beauty. This is, this is Jesus. He has everything. He is everything. He lacks nothing. And the Father sends him to take our place to fulfill the dream of his heart. And he decides to come and be born in a barn, a stinky, gross barn. To a family that in today's world we would classify as very poor. And then our king of glory lives for 30 years with one purpose, not to build an empire, not to be known, not to be successful, not for any of the things that often drive and motivate our lives, but one simple thing, to consecrate his life to being a perfect sacrifice to fulfill the dream of God. 30 years, all authority in heaven and on earth. We're talking about the Son of God, now a man, and for 30 years he gives himself to one thing. In the midst of Rome terrorizing the region and and all of these things happening around him, society at that time falling apart, the people of God oppressed. One thing for 30 years. And then the father speaks, and suddenly he transitions. Now that his life has been prepared as the perfect sacrifice, he transitions into three years in which he lives as a prototype for every single believer that would be born again in him. And he says this statement, and it gets me super excited. He says, not only are you going to do the things that I've done, but greater things. Why? Because I only did this for three years. Can you imagine 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life filled with the Holy Spirit? See, what did Jesus do? He took everything that you were outside, everything that was shaped in your life outside of the nature of Jesus, all of your situations, circumstances, the problems that you've been through, the struggles that you've been through that shaped your personality, because they did. You're not an extrovert because you decided to be one or an introvert. Things shaped your life. I know this because I've been both. <laughs> I'm not bipolar. <laughs> all the psychologists were like, hmm. <laughs> Jesus takes all of that, everything that made you who you were outside of him, and guess what he does with it? He crucifies it. He takes it upon himself, and he kills it. I love <laughs> what Gabriel said last weekend. The cross has two purposes, to murder you, And to destroy your reputation. Oof. <laughs> so Jesus takes our, our old lives and he murders it by literally allowing himself to be murdered. He takes it upon himself and he dies. And everything that made you who you were is now in the grave and it's finished and it's dead. And this all happens by faith when you get saved. It's wild. It's the mystery of the gospel. And it's dead. But then he doesn't stay dead. He's raised to life, and you're raised with him into glory. 
And what Jesus does is he ascends to the Father, but he, he, he gives us his very spirit and says, it's actually better that I go, which just is like, how can it be better if you go? And he's saying, because it's the fulfillment of the Father's dream, my spirit in you so that we can be one forever. See, sometimes we're looking at the today and God's looking at the forever. Are you with me? And so, oh man, this is the gospel. And so now, Jesus, he's standing before the Father, interceding on our behalf as our advocate, as our mediator, 24-7, 365 for all of eternity, right? And what he's doing is he's presenting you before the Father and he's saying, look at your beloved son, your beloved daughter, in whom you're well pleased. He or she looks like me. And the Father looks at us and sees absolute perfection. Even right now, and I don't even know what you're going through, even in the midst of your brokenness and your addiction and your struggles and whatever it is that's going on in your life, if you, if you are born again and you've given your heart to Jesus, He looks at you and He sees perfection. Now, the fact that you're still on the journey of believing that yourself is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why we're sanctified and being sanctified. Do you know why this is wild? And, and I can tell you haven't got it yet because when you get it, you'll start to... You start to twitch and you want to, because your body starts to freak out. Do you know why? Because you were designed for Him. When He fills you with the Holy Spirit, every fiber of your being comes alive for its intended purpose. Thank you. Amen. And so here's Jesus, and He presents us before the Father, and He says this, not only are you given the title son or daughter, but I'm going to put my spirit, not a version of my spirit, not a replica, my spirit, the spirit of Jesus. I'm going to put it inside of you so that not only do you have the title of son and daughter, but now you can actually live like one. See, I think something that's crippled us for so long is that we have lost sight of the full potential of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have lost sight of what it means to be absolutely possessed by the Spirit of God. Yep, you heard me say it, possessed. If you can be possessed by a demon, they can only copy. So where did that come from? Do you understand that word, possessed? There's nothing, there's nothing left untouched, unoccupied. You, you're full. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and I believe that as he makes the statement, it is finished. I believe that suddenly there was the revelation, the understanding that past, present, future, for all time, he had just fulfilled God's dream. And then he says, it is finished. And the Hebrew is kalah, the Aramaic, kalah. You know what that means? It means completion and perfection. It's what you call a bride on a wedding day. It's not just it is finished, like the task is finished. That's not what he was doing. He w- something lit up inside of Jesus where he went, it's finished. From the beginning of time, the dream of God that was introduced, it is finished. And now, watch, I've given birth to my bride, water and blood out of his side. And I'm rapping. <laughs> he's, uh, he's given birth to his bride out of his side. He turned the tide nationwide. <laughs> Come on. Blood and water. Why? Why out of his side? What happened? Blood and water. Where do we see that? Birth. So he gives birth to what's, what's going to be his bride for all of eternity. And he says, Kalah, complete, perfect. 
In other words, guess what? From now until the day that I return, my bride is going to represent me on the earth as a lover. It's going to bring heaven to earth. And here's the thing. Let me just touch on this. What if heaven on earth actually doesn't have a lot to do with stuff? Because if it's heaven on earth, then it's got to be what we have in heaven on the earth. <laughs> in other words, I'm like, I'm careful. I can feel I'm standing on glass here. In other words, I don't think you'll have six cars parked outside your house in heaven. <laughs> However, I do believe that as we live as sons and daughters here on the earth, and as we posture our lives in, under His Lordship, His rulership, His leadership, as long as our hearts are submitted to Him, then I believe that the abundance of heaven can be manifest through our lives because your heart's not connected to it. It's what Abraham did. Abraham is given a promise by the Lord, and it's a son. And he takes the son, and the Lord says, kill him. There's the prosperity gospel. There's the true prosperity message for you right there. If you really want to know prosperity, God gives you a promise, and then he says, give it back. Do you know why? Because when, when Abraham got to the point where he was coming down to finish his promise, to, kill, to put to death, to give God his promise, and he's coming down, and, and he had, let me just make this clear. He made up his mind. The knife was coming down. <laughs> God didn't do it when they got to the base of the mountain. Like, oh, that's good enough. It's all good. You got close to, to tithing. You know, you, you logged into your, to your bank account and then you logged out. It's all good. I, I know your heart. Low blow, sorry. But <laughs> I love you. We never give under compulsion. You know the whole thing. You I, don't know, I just had to say that. The reality is it didn't happen at the base of the mountain. It didn't happen halfway up the mountain. It didn't happen while he was literally building the altar to put his son on and his son starting to ask the questions like, where's the sheep? It rocks me that Isaac understood the relationship between his father and the father, that he trusted that he, his father had heard God and allowed himself to be bound and put on the altar. We could learn a lot from Abraham and Isaac in that situation. But Abraham is coming down. He's made the decision. Can you imagine? This is the promise. But something matters more than the promise. Lordship. You see, when we exalt the promise above the king, we compromise in our relationship with him. So he comes down, and the Lord says, stop. Why? Because the decision was made. God had his heart. And then he provides. So if you really want to understand how we walk in the abundance of God on the earth, look at Abraham, because after that moment, he was an incredibly wealthy man, but he possessed nothing in his heart but God. In other words, let me put it this way. God could bless Abraham abundantly because God knew he could take it away tomorrow and Abraham wouldn't shake at all. Abraham would continue. Are you with me? And so now, back to the gospel. It's just a side thing. The 10 a.m. guys get a lot of that, eh? Sure. It's good. Can I tell you why? We're getting free. We're getting free. Because 
what people don't understand is the reason why we have to actually go there in our hearts is because God wants to trust us with much. That's the reality. I'm, I'm saying this because I believe that God wants to pour out His abundance on your life. But you're not, you're not going to get His riches, the true riches, right? If we've given our hearts or we've connected our hearts to the riches of this world. The gospel. So Jesus... He puts his spirit inside of us. And last night as I'm praying, something stirs in my spirit and the Lord begins to whisper this into my heart and I, I was overcome. Because now I'm, I'm meditating on this truth of desire that the Lord just wants desire from us today. So I came here with a very different expectation. I came here going, Lord, I don't know what you're gonna do. It's gonna be awesome. But I've come with one thing. I want to, I want, to want you. I want you. I love you. I desire you. And I, everything that we do today is gonna come from that place. That's how simple it is. And he is so drawn to that, Right? But he said this to me, he said, I'm jealous for you. And he said, don't forget, don't forget that that right there is the very essence of the dream of God. That he wants you more than you will ever, ever want him or understand. More than we even have the capacity to, to have revelation of, of desire. He wants us more than that. In fact, he wants you so much that through the Holy Spirit, He puts His own love inside of you so that you can love Him back with the same kind of wild love. He's not looking for your attempt at love. He's giving you His. And He's saying, come into this fellowship with me where we get to love each other in this way. But do you understand that He wants to fill you and possess you? He's so jealous for your life, for your heart, for your soul, for your emotions, for your thoughts, for your body. He wants every aspect of your life to come alive in Him. Where His voice becomes like oxygen to your being. Where now life is centered around hearing God, following Him, obeying Him, loving Him, worshiping Him, living in intimacy with Him. We can't settle for less than that. Are you with me? See, I'm, I'm, I'm talking this way today because I can feel in the spirit, I feel the tension. I feel the tension in our lives. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know it's like my heart is drawn to what we're talking about today. And then you go like, man, and then there's situations and circumstances and I just feel this. this, this and it's like something's going to snap. And today I just want to go. Because sometimes it, it looks like snapping and just going, okay, Lord, I can't. I'm done. I'm yours. I just throw my life. If everything fails, if everything just collapses, but you have me, I've success. See, because it's in that place that he can take your weak, whispered yes and turn it into the roar of the Lion of Judah. It's in that place when suddenly he has your heart where you're not intimidated by the situation or circumstance that you're facing, where you're not intimidated by how much money you can make off of that business deal. Or that expansion or that promotion or that new job opportunity. Where suddenly what matters more to you, even than a promise, is intimacy with the king. In other words, Lord, even if you say no, I'll say no. 
because I'm, I'm sharing this with you because the Lord is breathing on reaching the least and the unreached. None of us made that up. We didn't, we didn't come up with that plan. That's what He's doing all across the earth right now. And so by, by allowing the Lord to teach us and train us in that one thing does not mean, hear me, does not mean that we are taking away from anything else. Because the reality is the foundation from which we do everything is the simple Christian life where we're filled with the Holy Spirit, living in intimacy with Him and seeing the world transformed around us. In other words, when you go to work tomorrow morning and you are obedient to the Lord and listening to what He's telling you to do, that is as holy as anything else that we do in the 1040 window or reaching the unreached. But the important thing is, we don't have to contend between which one matters more. We're following the Holy Spirit as He emphasizes things to train us and teach us and shape us. And so I want to take the pressure off of anybody's shoulders that's like, well, I don't, how am I supposed to get to the Middle East and how am I supposed to do this? I don't know how to do that. I know some people are like, man, you guys are going there. I want to go there. And what's happening? And I'm freaking out like your life has no purpose. No, your life has purpose because it's not found in mission trips. You can't exalt missions. You can't exalt missions above life in Jesus. Because the reality is when you come home, you won't know what to do with yourself. So the goal of what we are talking about when we preach about the least and the unreached, it's not just to do mission trips. It's to be captivated by the heart of God and saying, whatever you ask of me, I will say yes, because your spirit is inside of me. If God's creating an Antioch community, that means he wants to flip Joburg upside down by using Christians. And then that same community is going to take responsibility for what the Lord cares about. And he's saying, hey, there's a group of people on the other side of the planet that have never heard my name. And I'm aching for them in the manner in which I'm aching for you. Let me, let me give you a testimony. La, uh, last, this Wednesday gone, we had a table group with um, the Robenheimers. They were here in the first service. Beautiful family. Most incredible night just in the presence of the Lord, laughing together, having a meal. And then suddenly... Their three kids put an envelope on the table and slide it across to me. And they tell me, all three of them, varsity, matric, grade 10, going into grade 10. And they're, they're you know, teenagers and a young adult going through right now that season of life with an assignment to get them a trick, to finish school, to get the degree that the Lord spoke, put into their, uh, Caroline's heart. And, uh, and they slide this thing over to me and they say, that's our, our pocket money. And we put all our pocket money together to contribute to get you to Nepal. And at that, I was just finished because this is what I'm talking about. This is the family of God. It's like right now, the Lord hasn't told me to go hike into the Tibet mountains, but but I'm, we're a family and we're listening to the voice of the Lord. And we believe that the Lord's actually asking of us to care about these things. And so I might not be asked to go right now, but I care. And here's my little yes. Do you know that one day in heaven, some beautiful Tibetan person is going to walk up to those kids, shake their hand and say, thank you for the gospel. And they're going to say, I, what are you talking about? I, I never went to Tibet. And they're going to say, yeah, but you took your pocket money. And you sent one person who reached one person 
whose, whose eternal destiny was changed because of your pocket money. Do you see how holy that is? So we need to repent for elevating anything, and I mean anything in our lives, above His presence. Because if we just learn to live in intimacy with Him, yes to Jesus is all we have to give. Intimacy with the Lord is the only thing we get to give back to Him. And it's the only thing He wants. So listen to this, Romans 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ah, it's a good place to start. Do not be conformed to this world. Somebody in this room needs to hear this right now. And you've heard this scripture probably a million times before. Hear it with fresh ears and and eyes today. See it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's why. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In other words, let me put it this way. I don't get to reach the tennis student that Pete gets to reach. But I'm one with Pete. So when he, when he reaches that student, we win. And I get to celebrate that win. Not only that, but I get to champion him. I get to be a support to him. I get to encourage him and celebrate and go, Jesus, you're reaching tennis students in my family. And maybe right now, Pete's not going to go to Tibet, but he gets to celebrate with me because we're one. And when we touch, when we touch Tibet, we win. Are you understanding? This is what we're talking about. We have different functions and different assignments and different seasons, but together as one, if the finger is going to go and touch another part of the world, the whole body has to move to get it there. If Ben is going to reach CEOs of these corporations and businesses, come on. When Ben gets to go and do that, we get to move with Ben. He's one with us. We win when we get the CEO. Listen to this. This, It gets even more exciting. So individually, members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This isn't a hierarchy thing. This isn't like we, we can't exalt one gift and go like, that's the one you want, right? Or if you don't have that gift... Uh, it's cool to do serving and mercy stuff and whatever, but hey, preaching, that's the one. Well, there's some scriptures that make you fear and tremble when you understand that actually what you're held accountable to when you preach the word is on another level. 
It was terrifying. But listen to this. This is not a hierarchy of gifts. This is diversity of expression in the family of God so that we can see the fulfillment of the Great Commission on the earth. Right? Listen to this. We don't all have the same function. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. Hello? Oh, serving's holy? The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation or encouragement. Oh my goodness, encouragement is holy? Listen to this one. The one who contributes in generosity. Oh my goodness. Giving is holy. It's considered the same as teaching. In other words, you can get a reward from giving in the same way you can see a reward from teaching the gospel. The one who leads with zeal. Thank you. Now, nobody can shout at me for passion. It's in the Bible. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Listen to the rest. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Oh, it's there. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know, just want to touch on this, the burning coals. Do you know that that's not actually like a in-your-face kind of thing? Like, hey, you know, the my enemy comes against me and I get to like give them a drink of water because they're thirsty and it's like, ha. Huh. That's not what we're talking about here. Do you know what he's talking about? Do you know what the burning coals are? That actually as you begin to love your enemies, that the same fire that's consumed your life, that's actually enabled you to love them in this way, that they would actually be set on fire, that suddenly your enemies become your brothers. Romans 12 is literally an invitation to what it looks like for the church to be the church. And what God's saying is, do you, do you understand that I'm telling you that your life lived in Jesus is holy? That you are on a wild adventure with Jesus every single day. Whether it's at home with your kids, at work, at university, at school, in the nations, it's holy. 
So my encouragement to the church, to us today, is that God is doing something so beautiful in 24-7. And I feel like for some of you, for some of you today, it's like, it's like enough is enough. This is, not a, this is not a half-half game. It's not. And I, I want to say this with joy. Look at me. You can see I'm smiling. This is a joyful statement I'm about to make. Right? We will not apologize for being all in. So this will never be a place where you are comfortable. It's a beautiful place where the Holy Spirit will comfort you. It's just interesting that it's not the same comfort that we think. In other words, what the Holy Spirit does is His work is uncomfortable, so He comforts you while He's making you uncomfortable. In other words, I'm going to squeeze you, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm here, and I got you. So just let me do what I'm doing. And we want to cultivate a place where the Holy Spirit can do that in every single one of our lives. And so we have no desire to build a successful brand, to fill massive rooms and auditoriums and whatever, if that's the, the, the fruit of what God calls us to do, amen and amen. But the reality is what I'm longing to see is the dream of God established in every single one of our hearts, that we would say yes to Him, that we would follow Him, that we would obey Him to the ends of the earth. So there's a, I feel like some of you just straight up need to respond to Jesus. Some of you need to repent. I love repentance. Do you know that repentance is the way of the righteous? That's what it is. <laughs> I can feel just a weight on what the Lord's doing right now. And um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just saw his eyes change. It's like, I love that, by the way. I love that when Jesus is in the room and we talk about him, you, our eyes change. Because one or two things happen. You manifest or you yield. <laughs> I feel like for some of you today, the Lord's actually, like, I had such a sense this morning, like he was pulling people out of mediocrity. He was pulling people out of what they've been stuck in, out of lies in fact, even we, we, I feel like that word about the tension, where some have felt the tension, the snap is today. Stop trying to have a foot in both and, and hold on because they're moving further and further away from each other, which means it's getting harder and harder to hold on. It's time to let go. Are you with me? So I just, I'm going to be obedient to uh, some things that I just felt last night and, and uh, this morning, and then I will respond together. Is that okay? We'll respond together as a family. I think all of us should respond, right? We all should be saying yes to Jesus. So this isn't about, you know, each one of you, your response might look different, but the Lord demands response. I'll just say this last thing. Mary of Bethany, she, we know the story. She, she breaks the jar of perfume on Jesus in Mark 14. And Jesus, you know, everyone else kind of mocks her and rebukes her. And it's like, hey, that could have been used for some good ministry stuff. But Jesus says something interesting. He says, stop scolding her. She has prepared my body for burial. 
And then he says, wherever the gospel is preached in all creation, this story will be told in memory of her. And he puts people like Mary of Bethany at the center of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And he says it's a people like Mary who do two things. Number one, know his worth. The other one, sit at his feet and listen to his voice. Why do I say that? Because out of all of his disciples, up until that point, he had said it three times that he was going to die. And nobody heard what he was really saying, but Mary did. And so she recognized the moment that she was in. She took her life, her, her value, her, her most expensive thing, gift. And she breaks it on Jesus. And Jesus says, she just prepared my body for burial. Let me say it like this. It's a people who know the worthiness of Jesus that position their lives, their lives to give the right response in the right moment. In other words, we are in a moment right now in history, and God's looking for a people that will respond rightly because they've seen Him. So there is a response in your heart today, and it'll look different for different people. But I felt a few specific things. And so I want to say this. I, um, I have no desire to make anybody uncomfortable, um, so please don't feel uncomfortable. This is safe. But I want to kind of step out.